Hello and welcome to Season 3 of the E3 Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Mottram. This podcast is all about building science, healthy homes, architecture, and female entrepreneurship. So prepare to get nerdy. So on this week's episode of the E3 Podcast, Scott has agreed to come on and talk to you guys. He is a homeowner, so we're going to get to hear from the homeowner's perspective about building a high-performance home. He's actually not my client. He's Bob Swinburne's client, so we'll get to hear a little bit more about working with Bob as well. So welcome, Scott. Tell us who you are and a little bit about why you decided to build. Okay, so I'm uh, I'm a Boston resident and lawyer uh, who has been enjoying uh, being in a wonderful site in Southern Vermont for many, many years where I own a catalog house uh, that was designed to be built on the Outer Banks of North Carolina, but instead was installed on a hillside uh, in Southern Vermont that's exposed to extreme winter weather uh, and it was falling apart. And so uh, I was faced with the choice of either just giving up this wonderful site or building something new. And so I went searching for an architect in Vermont and I did the ingenious thing of going to the internet uh, to see what it would offer me. And there I found Bob Swinburne and uh, ultimately uh, moved forward with a project with Bob and uh, Garrow Dolphus of Mendel and Morse in Brattleboro and uh, we're building a very fine house on a beautiful site in Southern Vermont. I'm heading up there as soon as we're done this morning, Emily. I'm driving up uh, for a site visit uh, to see on how the uh, rough electrical is going. So uh, that's the short version. Uh, it's a site that means a lot to me. Uh, I knew the former owners of the house. Uh, they were very close friends of my mother. Uh, and I spent a lot of time in the house that was torn down before uh, I owned it and then bought the house and now I'm replacing the house. So that's the long and the short of it. Um, I guess I'll just add that um, I've had a lifelong ambition of building a house of my own. Uh, and finally I'm realizing that dream. I've renovated a number of places that I've lived in but have actually never gone from the ground up. So yeah. that's a little bit of context for this project. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Bob and I are actually really good friends. So I've been able to follow along with your project in, in the uh, behind the scenes part. Um, I got to see some pictures of the original house. Um, did you consider renovating the existing house? I know um, you said it was falling apart. So maybe it was kind of just at the end of its usable life. Well, so that's, you know, that's actually a more complicated question than you had any reason to anticipate. Uh, um, I actually bought the old house about 10 or 12 years ago and had done a fairly extensive ill-advised renovation and only later discovered that the bones of the house uh, weren't there. And with a particular eye to some of the work that I know you and Bob do, the, the, to say the house was energy inefficient uh, gives it too much credit. Uh, it was porous. And so in the winter, uh, we could be inside and feel as if there was very little difference there than being outside and facing the brutal winter winds without any protection. And there was just essentially no insulation at all. And the timbers were rotting and finally decided, got to, we can't afford to heat it anymore. It made no sense. Yeah. Um, and you said something earlier that it was designed for North Carolina. And that's something that we, you know, we hear about a lot and we see, you know, someone will come to us and they'll say, oh, you know, we love this plan. We want to build this plan. And you kind of look at it and you go, well, you know, this is Maine or this is Vermont. Like, mm, I don't know, you know, but clearly it still happens. Right. So you had this house that maybe wasn't appropriate for your, your site and as great as it was, right. Cause there's all kinds of great architecture everywhere, but it might've been wonderful in North Carolina, but right. you know, you were freezing in Vermont and going there in the winter time was just, a you know, it, it either cost you way too much to be even comfortable in the house or it just wasn't worth it. And so, um, so, you know, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. So I found Bob and, and um, on the internet, I actually interviewed a, a couple of other people. Uh, my partner, Ann and I uh, interviewed these folks and, uh, and hit it off with Bob. And, you know, I think it's uh, important to say that one of the things that um, he convinced us of, and 
in truth, it wasn't much of a, a, of a leap for us, was to um, not only uh, build a highly energy efficient house, uh, but also to rely heavily on local people, local wood, local sources. And in fact, one of the interesting things that I discovered early on in the project was the possibility of deconstructing what we had. So um, we got rid of the old house in three dumpsters. Everything else was recycled. And we only had, we would have had only one, but for the fact that I learned that there was uh, asphalt shingles on underneath the roof that you could see, and those had to be carted away. And there was another uh, dumpster full of uh, foam insulation. And all the rest of the house was recycled, save what fit in a single dumpster, which was kind of extraordinary. Um, yeah. And we used a company called Deconstruction Works from uh, near Brattleboro. And they did a remarkable job taking the old house down. There wasn't a nail left on the ground. And um, it was a very efficient and environmentally conscious program. The, the stuff was all donated to a, a charitable corporation in Springfield, Massachusetts that recycles building materials. So that felt good. That's, and, yeah, you know, that's amazing. <laughs> uh, it's really, a, it's an industry I didn't even know existed. Um, it comes with tax benefits that one couldn't have imagined. So the contents of the house were a charitable deduction. So it actually kind of saved some money on the other end. And uh, it just felt good that this structure was being torn down. It took a month and a half instead of a day to get rid of the old house, but um, that felt good. Um, and a lot of the new house is being sourced from literally local woods. Uh, Garrow sent us a photograph a few weeks ago of a, an immense trunk on the back of a truck that was heading off and will become our floorboards. I said, where the hell was this tree felled? Turns out it was felled about 20 miles from our house. So, you know, we don't, we didn't have the uh, forest, uh, we have a lot of forest land there, but it doesn't have good trees for this purpose. But uh, we were able to use a lot of, I think all the wood that's going in this house is from Southern Vermont sources. Yeah, it's, um, I think someone said to me once, you know, just kind of look at nature and mimic nature, right? And so these are things that grow locally. They're things that you can, you know, use. They, some of the biggest environmental impact on the construction site is just trucks coming to the site all the time, right? So if it came from 20 miles down the road, you know, it wasn't shipped from the Western part of Canada where a lot of lumber comes from. Um, and that's one of the really cool things about Vermont. And I tell Bob all the time that I, I, uh, envy him in Vermont for, you know, the access to a lot of your local Sawyers and, you know, I don't know if it's a Vermont thing. Um, cause you would think we'd have some similar, and we do have some similar things here in Maine, but, um, you know, using materials that are, somewhat close that also then like you did with the original house can be stripped down if they need to be and recycled kind of back into the environment because they came from a local source you know they weren't processed and treated and everything to to the ninth degree to get to this place so it makes you sort of feel good about what you're putting back up afterwards and, and, I, and I, sh I should actually mention that one of the things bob convinced us to do was to actually reuse in the new house, some of the materials from the old house. So I mentioned that we're getting some floorboards cut from this recently felled tree, but we're actually reusing all of the floorboards that I uh, put in the house and I renovated. We're reusing the kitchen cabinets, we're reusing the kitchen counters, um, and we're reusing some beat up uh, insulation material that uh, Garrow convinced me could be reused and so that didn't go off the site either so that that that's, was both uh, a smart thing to do and it, uh, an environmentally conscious thing to do that was one of the my favorite things when we recorded with Garrow and they were talking about the sugar bush house um where he talked about uh the trees that they used and the lumber that they used and then they would just put their lumber pile like at the end of the driveway and everybody heats with wood stoves in in maine and it, you know it wasn't pressure treated or treated with anything or covered and uh they were able to just you know the the local neighbors were able to use that then to heat their houses that winter like it, it feels very community based um the way they work yeah and we're, we're you know there is i've noticed uh 
a similar, much smaller wood pile uh, at our construction site. We weren't able to uh, do what they did at Sugarbush, which is actually harvest trees on the site for the house. That would have been an extra glory, but uh, <laughs> we're not realizing that one. Sure. Every site can't be the ultimate perfect uh, <laughs> for, for every situation. But. No, no. <laughs> so what took you to Vermont you know, 12 years ago, you know, you said you, you knew the, so it was, it was actually, it was a family connection. Um, it was, a you know, this friend of my mother's, uh, my mother met late in life, had a, had this house and, uh, my dad died and the owner of the house, his husband died and, uh, these widows met each other and, uh, started spending a lot of time up there. And I came to know the house. My kids came to know the house. And so, uh, when the owner passed away, uh, her children offered the house to me, and I was like, "Okay, this is a pretty—it's a beautiful site. Uh, it's a—we've got a long view. We can see Mount Snow from uh, the deck, so it's a—you know—it's a twenty-mile view or more, and it's just a lovely site, very rural. Uh, you can go up there and often not run into anybody, uh, and that's very appealing to me. I live in downtown Boston." So uh, it's, to say it's a contrast is, a, is an understatement. Yeah, downtown Boston to rural Vermont. Um, it must really feel like the, the getaway, you know, when you're like, okay, I've had enough of the city for right now. I'm going to go, you know. No, it's a, when I turn off Route 2 onto what's called the Coleraine Road to get to this house, it's just I can feel uh, a, a lot of uh, urban anxiety uh, flow down my body and out through the soles of my shoes. Sure. So what's been the most challenging part about building? So this is the first house you've, you've built from, you know, ground right. up. Yeah. Uh, well, I suppose the most challenging thing was coming to uh, an agreement on the design. Uh, so far, the construction has been remarkably uh, challenge-free, at least for me. I'm sure Garrow's Garrow's, Garrow's enjoying some anxiety, but he's not sharing any of that with me, for which I'm grateful. Um, but, you know, it was... I had some ideas, uh, Anne had some ideas, and uh, you know Bob, needless to say, had some ideas, and you know we had to we had to work all that out. And most of that was um, easy. Uh, it took some time. Uh, Bob's vision was a little different than ours, and um, you know we ended up with a, the house has a different shape than I ever imagined it would have. Um, and some of the interior designs, there's one particular feature that was, uh, it's probably worth talking about, this the so-called hearth wall. So mm. if you've seen any of the drawings, you know what I'm talking about. There's a, I a, have. a, a an interior wall that uh, rises most of the way, but not all the way to the ceiling. It's about, what is it, about 16 or 17 feet high. Um, and it's a central feature of the house. Uh, it's gonna have a wood burning stove inserted in it um, and the whole idea of such a thing was new i'd never imagined it uh, but the real issue became what is it going to be clad with is it going to be this house is going to have a lot of white walls and a lot of white walls and black windows uh, and what's this wall going to have and bob proposed in his early drawings that it be covered with sheets of raw steel and I was uh, a little puzzled by that. Um, Anne was appalled. Uh, she was like, no, I mean, I want a house that I want to actually be in. Uh, and, <laughs> and, and so we, um, we explored a lot of alternatives. I mean, we agreed fairly readily with the idea of this wall. Mm -hmm. But the notion that we'd be sitting in our living room, uh, which isn't that large, looking at steel, uh, raw steel was sort of like, why would we do that? Um, and so um, there was a period of time where we were imagining it might be clad in raw wood. Um, both Garrow and Bob were uh, having us chat about uh, using, bringing some of the exterior wood into the interior of the house. Uh, the house is going to be clad in hemlock, much like sugar bush, not the same pattern, but the same material. So maybe we could do that, or maybe we could do locust, or we could do something. And we looked at that for a while, and then um, uh, there are a lot of rocks on the site, and that's no surprise, it's southern Vermont. And we're thinking, like, maybe we should bring some stone into the house. So we 
uh, on our own, we're exploring some of these um, stone, sort of finished stone surfaces. Um, and to make a long story short, at the end of the day, uh, Garrow came back and said, you know, I really think Bob may be right. And we still weren't buying it, but um, we ultimately uh, found ourselves looking at a sample of this steel, maybe one by two feet, something like that. And we brought it back here to Boston and lived with it for a while. And uh, that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm pretty confident it's going to be great. And Anne's been convinced about it. And, you know, it's going to be um, certainly going to be a little different. Uh, this is a very modern home that we're building. There's nothing traditional about it. So is your, is your home in Boston a fairly traditional home, you know? Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, it's got some, it's, you know, got some modern features, but it's, uh, we live in, uh, in an historic district and part of a, mm -hmm. you know, we're in a part of a brick row house. I was going to say, when you said downtown Boston, I thought there was a real potential that you could have a somewhat historic uh, house. Yeah, we, live, in we, live in the, we live in the, in the country's largest historic district of preserved brick row houses in the south end of Boston. And we, yeah. have, you know, we have a little piece of one of these. Um, it's, it's so interesting, you know, the, the, the historic row home in Boston in such an urban center and now the super modern uh, on the hillside in Vermont uh, house. It's, it's very, it's very cool how, how they're, they're completely different. Yeah, there's um, nothing in the middle. <laughs> there's, no, there's nothing in the middle. Um, and it's, it's interesting too, because Bob has done some traditional architecture in the past. He's done some, you know, super modern, as you saw with, with Sugar Bush House. It's a very modern design as well. Um, I saw the the big fireplace design and I heard about all the different kind of iterations about it. And I, I think I got a picture from Garrow the other day of him standing inside the the, the part where the, where the fireplace is going to, to inset. Uh, and I thought- you're really up to date. <laughs> wow, that's a, well, I just, I, I, you know, Bob and I are really good friends and, and I just adore Garrow. I tell Bob all the time. I'm like, I'm going to steal him and make him come to Maine. <laughs> uh, no, Either that is, or I'm uh, going to have to do a project in Vermont. Um, well, because, be and so, so that is kind of my next question too there. So, so that was really interesting that the, that construction has been really, you know, I don't want to say seamless, but, you know, on your end, construction hasn't had too many hiccups and that the design part was really was the, the sort of initial challenge. Um, how did you did, did Bob just introduce you to Garrow and say, this is the builder I think that you should work with? Or did you guys talk about a couple of different builders who might be able also, to? Yeah, that's a great question. So, I mean, yes, uh, we wouldn't have ever known about Garrow, but for Bob and uh, I think Bob read us um, very well. And so he proposed to meet, for me to meet Caro at the Sugarfish House, which was then under construction. In fact, I was there, uh, this is the day I'm not gonna forget because I was literally the day I arrived at the Sugarfish House as they were deciding to disband the construction crew because COVID had made oh, no. fully felt in Southern Vermont. So he was actually, sort of shutting the project down. They later figured out a way to keep it moving. But the day I got there, uh, Darrow and Josh were there and they were shutting the project down. But he, you know, we looked at what they were doing and um, and I hit it off with Garrow immediately. Um, so the decision to use Garrow and his folks was uh, very easy. I did have a local plumber, uh, uh, from down the road uh, that I'd used over the years and was skillful and intensely loyal. And I feel immense loyalty to him. So I urged Garrow to please use my plumber, uh, which he was willing to do. But other, other than that, he brought in his own subs and he's been um, fantastic. I, um, I can't say enough about what working with him has been like. Uh, and it partly reflects just that experience, but it's also the contrast with the experience I've had over a long life of renovating properties uh, that I lived in uh, and having uh, experiences that weren't anything like this. So he's been, he's just been, he's been great. And he's, 
you know, I know that one of the things you explore in this series is sort of the interaction of architects and builders. Um, Caro's actually played a non-trivial role in the design outcome of this house. Uh, he's, he, he is an esthete. Uh, he's not just a builder. Um, he has wisdom to share. That's often the case there. I call him up and say, well, what would you do here? We're trying to decide what to, what tie, what, what slate color are we going to use? Um, and he's got, um, you know, he's got a really keen eye for these things. Um, I can easily imagine him, in fact, becoming kind of a design builder at some point in his career. Um, and he's just a really smart guy. So I've uh, thoroughly enjoyed working with a man that just loves him. And, you know, we get almost daily reports from the site. We got a picture yesterday of the, they're starting to frame out the, the deck. And we saw that for the first time. It could take in what that's going to do to the shape of the house, which is, a little hard to visualize sometimes. Uh, we get, you know, wonderful, he's, he's, a, he's a good photographer too. So we get, you know, pictures almost every day. Um, and he, you know, he, he knows when to check in. And frankly, I think he knows when not to. So the example, the most immediate example I'll give you is the electricians in there doing rough electrical work this week. And Garrow concluded yesterday afternoon that in order to avoid any miscommunication, any surprises, any of that kind of stuff that can cause, you know, grist in this thing that I really would be smart if I could be on site today. So when you and I are finished, I jump in my car and drive up to Southern Vermont and uh, meet the electrician for the second time. I've wanted to meet all the people who work on the house. I know Garrow's crew, all the people who work for him. Um, and uh, I think that's important. There's so many pros and cons to, uh, to not being at the job site, you know, you're in Boston, so you can't kind of pop by every evening or every day, you know, which is, which is both good and bad for you. Right. So, so it's good in the sense that you, you know, don't feel the anxiety about, well, it feels like nothing got done today or, you know, <laughs> what's going on here. Right. Because that's just sort of a normal course of construction. And sometimes it looks like from one day to the next, like a million things happened. And sometimes it looks like, especially I find when they're pulling electrical is, you know, because it still sort of all just looks the same. They're just kind of more wires, but it takes them a long time to do that well, right? So, you know, for two weeks, you, you might get a picture from Garrow and you're like, this one looks exactly like the one you sent me yesterday, you know, right? So, right. Um, but going to the job site and walking through with, you know, the electrician and just making sure like, yeah, we looked at this in plan, but does this make sense that you want to turn the light switch on here now that you can kind of stand in the space and, you know, see that's, the walls? That's literally, that's literally exactly what prompted my visit today. Yeah. Exact issue. <laughs> because if you don't do that, you end up with, um, so I did a renovation for my parents back in 2013 and they live in Pennsylvania. And so, you know, I did all this stuff remotely and I was just like, you know, you're, you're on site, dad, you can walk through. Well, I guess I didn't give him enough instructions to walk through with the electrician. And every time I go to their house now, it's so frustrating to me to have to turn on the dining room light from the other side of the living room. Like this light switch is in the wrong spot, you know, and 30 second walk through with the electrician would have been like, okay, where do you want to turn on this light? Where do you want to turn on that light? And, and, um, it's so critical that you're going to go and do that. That's one of the things that I always, you know, add into every contract that just says the client and the electrician need to walk through the electrical plan. Like, yes, we've talked about it. We've, we've thought about it, but it's not the same as physically standing in the space and saying, Oh, okay. Hey, wait, this door swings this way. Maybe I want the light switch, you know, over here. Cause I'm going to be carrying something in my hands or I can't reach it or, you know, so, so there's nothing quite the same as being, being there and walking through the space and envisioning the space as you're going to use it. Yeah. So actually, while we're on that subject, one of the other things that um, happened along the way that might be of interest to you is that, um, the house is, is presenting what I conceive of as some lighting challenges. And um, so I, uh, I just became concerned that we didn't have the right people on the team to understand how the lighting was actually gonna work mm -hmm. in this peculiar space. 
So I, uh, I went searching for a lighting consultant and found somebody who seemed to be very knowledgeable in the field, also in Vermont, and went back to Bob and Garrow and said, what do you think? I'd like to bring her onto the team. And there was no resistance at all. Um, we brought her on. Um, she added, I hope, an immense value. That remains to be seen. <laughs> but because we're doing some things that we never imagined doing. Um, but, um, you know, she was um, knowledgeable in a way that they candidly acknowledged they weren't. And um, uh, both she and I think we all had a desire to avoid having in this particular, in this high ceiling living room area, you know, the idea that the ceiling was going to be covered with recessed lighting was something that I didn't want at all. Um, I like indirect lighting a lot. And um, so we figured out a lighting scheme and she came up with some stuff that was uh, creative, but also was able to kind of educate me about, you know, foot candles and that sort of stuff <laughs> and sort of test assumptions about how much light would be sufficient. And so she, you know, we, we came up with a lighting plan with her advice that was significantly different than what Bob and I and Garrow had originally imagined the house was going to have. And I, there's, I have no doubt that the house will be improved by reason of that. I applaud you for knowing and understanding you might need to go to that level. Um, there's nothing I find more frustrating than a really great designed house that has terrible lighting. Um, I actually went and worked for a lighting designer for about five years so that I could learn a lot more about lighting because I felt like I don't know enough about this as an architect, right? You're not trained for that. And, you know, we understand light and pattern and the sunlight. So during the day, you probably... <laughs> Uh, have great light as it moves through the space and where you're looking, but then as it gets dark. Um, and then on Thursday nights, I do a show called uh, the Building Science and Beer Show, um, which started as a discussion group. And then we took it online during the pandemic and has been so popular across the country that we continue to do it every Thursday. And even though I had worked for a lighting designer for about five years in conjunction with my practice, learning more about lighting and, and how you do it. We had a, a lighting specialist come on the show. I want to say about a month or two ago. I actually watched, I, I watched that. I, actually, I, I learned a whole bunch of new things. Well, so, so did I actually. And I mean, I watched that show. <clears throat> Bob had given me the link to it. And, um, you know, one of the things that I had learned from this lighting consultant, his name is Donna Lieban. She operates out of South Burlington in Vermont. She's really very good. Um, light technologies changed just dramatically uh, in the last number of years. So, you know, the idea of a dimmable LED fixtures that change their um, color as the, as the degree of dimness uh, shifts was remarkable. And so we're actually utilizing some of that technology in this, in this new house. Uh, uh, we'll see how it goes. It's a little, little scary. <laughs> you know, we did, it's an unknown. It's um, a little scary, but I, I, I have faith that it's going to work out really well for you and that you've planned the spaces for how you intend to use them, which I think is the other thing that we sort of forget with lighting is uh, that in some cases you do need overall lighting just so that you can see so you don't stumble into something right you certainly don't want to run into anything but at the same time we don't always plan for the tasks that are associated like if you're going to sit in your living room and you're going to read and you have this double height space those recessed cans in the ceiling would never have given you enough light for what you wanted to do kind of seated on a couch two stories below that. So um, I'm really excited. We'll have to get you back on after you've moved in and lived in the house a little while and let us know how, uh, how yeah, the lighting you know, I, I, works. I, I, <laughs> you know, I'll share another thing with you that I, that I told Bob early on. So one of the features of this house is that when there are guest bedrooms on a, on a second floor and there's a balcony that they lead to that then overlooks this two-story living room. Uh, and that has, that's tied to my childhood, actually. I, when I was a little kid, uh, we used to visit uh, my mother's sister's cottage in Southern Indiana, and, and it was set up that way, and I remembered it as like the coolest place to go as a child, uh, and we've got some grandkids that are going to be visiting, and it was like, I want 
that. I want something like that. I want them to think like, wow, that's, I haven't been in a house like that. That's fun to go there. Um, and so that was actually sort of one of the uh, design essentials when we first met with Bob was there's going to be two stories. And part of that second floor is going to overlook the living area on the first floor. Yeah. So we had a different idea in mind that he came up with, but that sort of concept was uh, a constant. Yeah. Planning in the way you experience a space is really interesting and that you've planned it in for your grandkids based on an experience that, that you had, you know, and I know um, the way Bob designs, he plans in a lot of experiences for how you move through the space or where you might, where your eyes are drawn. And so this, you know, your feature wall or, you know, coming in the door and being able to see directly outside to the view that you might have or something is, is always uh, really interesting. Yeah, we are, this house has got a bunch of, uh, Bob calls light corridors. Mm -hmm. So you can actually, um, if you're at the kitchen sink, you can see out the second floor guest bedroom window. Wow. Which is pretty cool if the door's open. <laughs> that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, and you know, it, it, I mean, that's a, an example of something that's, you know, you really only appreciate on site during construction. I mean, and that I can read, I'm pretty good at reading plans, but I, I, I envision various light quarters. I actually wasn't able to anticipate that one. I didn't think it would work. I mean, I just, the angles wouldn't allow for that, but in fact, they do. And another feature Bob's particularly proud of, I'm happy to speak for Bob today. Uh, <laughs> he had insisted of, on having this little window uh, on a wall that's on the um, south side of the house, pretty high up. It's opposite this hearth wall that we've talked about. And he, he conceived of this as sort of a, a light through which, a window through which the sunlight would shine at, at you know it's, it's it's sort of a um, it's like a clock uh, <laughs> the sun moves from the east to the west uh the way it's going to move the come through that window into the house is going to change um you really don't see anything out that window um but there's going to be light dancing on various walls as a result of its presence in the house and it's it's a tiny little window um but you know there it is and we'll see what it does it's amazing what you can do with tiny little windows, especially tiny little windows on the south side of the house, because it really does, you know, it gives you your own built-in clock, depending on where the light is shining in the space. But it also, you know, gives you some light from an upper space that can penetrate deeper into the space, right? Because I know you were concerned about the the steel wall of the, the fireplace, which is going to be darker in color to, you know, the white walls that you have everywhere else. And so hopefully at certain parts of the day, it'll light that space up yeah, as well. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We've seen <laughs> that already. So that's really fun and, and interesting to hear you talking about, you know, the plans and being able to read plans. Um, my experience over the last 13 or 14 years has been that um, a lot of people don't understand the plans. One of the scariest things that happened to me was a client said to me, does the house look the way you expected it to? And it, we were all done. It was, you know, we were done with construction. And I said, yes, does it look the way you expected? And he said, no, but it's better. And I was like, well, at least it's better. <laughs> it's like understanding kind of after the fact that, that they didn't, they didn't grasp really all of the spaces and, and looking at two dimensions and now learning kind of over the years that a lot of people don't see some of those two dimensional prints in three dimension. And then I know that Bob has done some 3D renderings for you because that was where I saw parts of your house uh, in the beginning. But even that's not the same as being in the space and being able to, you know, stand there and understand what might I see or how does this work? So, um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to hear, you know, whether or not you, you understood the plans and a lot of people don't understand them at all. Right. So you're having these conversations, you think everybody's on board and then you get on site. And I think it was a couple episodes ago, I had, uh, Jake Bruton on, he's a builder 
And he built a new house with his wife and his wife's like, what's this hole here? And he's like, well, that's a window. And she's like, oh, I didn't know we had a window in this room. And he's like, well, it was on the plans. And she told him kind of after the fact that she's like, well, I, I didn't know what the plan said. I didn't understand that. It's like, whoa, <laughs> here he was building the whole house uh, and, and he thought she knew what she was getting and, and, and she wasn't sure. And so it's like, uh, you know, even, even those of us in the design field or um, the very first house that my husband and I owned um, for some reason, the windows were really short. And I was like, I want you to install the curtain rods like a foot above the window. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. My husband is an engineer. And he's like, this is silly. And then he hung them up and he's like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's always really interesting how, how you go to, to understanding things in, in three dimensions. And so um, I'm thrilled that the construction experience has been good and that you're, you've been happy with some of these design changes that you that you made while you maybe didn't fully understand what it could be. <laughs> exactly. So what's been the best part, right? So we talked about the most challenging part. What, you know, what's been the best part about, you know, deciding to build in 2021, right? This crazy year. <laughs> well, it was a very, yeah, it was a crazy year to build uh, because of course we couldn't be in Vermont. Right. <laughs> so we've had to go you know, do Airbnbs up there to, um, and recently just to enjoy the time up there. It was a, an odd time to do it, but I think ultimately a, a, a good time. You know, it's, it's um, I'm getting a lot of pleasure out of just seeing every little change that I see. Um, you know, so far nothing has, I haven't had a single moment where I went up there and went, oh God, what were we, what's that? <laughs> what's um, that? What were we uh, thinking? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm feeling pretty uh, pretty confident now that, um, you know, I've absorbed the design that we know what we're getting. Uh, there've been some things that have gone up in the last couple of days that we're seeing for the first time, like, Oh, wow. Those are, that's a little design feature. Um, look, it's been, you know, it's really been a, a very enjoyable process. And, uh, you know, no crazy unexpected delays or things that don't work. Um, there have been some very significant changes along the way. I'll just mention the whole heating and cooling system that we're doing is very different than was originally contemplated. Uh, a new sub came on with a different idea that actually is uh, from just a design perspective, uh, a visual design perspective is um, an improvement. Um, you know, we're, I mean, I, I guess if you ask me, like, is there anything you're nervous about? Um, the thing I'm most nervous about right now is, is whether the heating and cooling system we've got, you know, we haven't talked about the energy efficiency and solar and all that stuff that we're doing up there, but, you know, we're using a heat pump. I don't understand heat pumps. Um, I'm a you know, forced hot air guy. Uh, you know, what's, you know, uh, you know, is it going to work? Is the house, you know, I'm, I'm less concerned about whether the house is going to be warm enough than I am about whether it's going to be cool enough when it's all sealed up. Um, and, you know, we're going to wait and see how that all shakes out. Um, so yeah, I'm a little bit see about that, but, um, you know, everything is, everything's going smoothly. We're obviously being, uh, you know, we're not benefiting from the in rapid increase in building supply costs. That's not, that's not helpful. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's a, you know, we, uh, Garrow also was sort of anticipating that and collared some of that along the way using local people. And uh, so, yeah, that's been really nice. Another person from Vermont mentioned that on the show, I think two weeks ago, um, that by using some of the local people, they've had a lot of success at trying to keep some of that, you know, down and access to, to some things that are local has helped with some of the cost uh, issues that have been challenging, you know, anything that has to be shipped or is produced in a factory is, you know, was onslaught by lots of things that happened last year, um, and into this year. And so, uh, by using local people, they've been able to do that, which is, uh, something that's great about, you know, Maine and Vermont and new England is being, you know, kind of here, <laughs> in a place where we can access some of that stuff that other parts of the country don't have quite as much access to. Um, 
but yeah, I can, I can tell you from, from my experience is, uh, the heat pumps are a new concept for everybody doing the, the super energy efficient house. And, um, it's really important. Um, and I'm sure that Gara will do this. I have faith in him for you to kind of walk through with your mechanical subcontractor afterwards to know how they all work. Um, the, the house that's up on the display in my background is where my office is, um, but it's a high performance house that I, that I designed uh, for my landscape architect who lives here. And um, it was done, I think in 2018. And we still sometimes talk about how the heat pumps operate and to, you know, leave them on, set them and forget it and, and all of that good stuff. But that it's often usually the opposite challenge is that, you know, the heating contractor wants to install, you know, a forced hot air system. Cause that's what they know, you know, isn't going to get them a callback, but then you find out that this house that you've built, that's really energy efficient, doesn't need that, <laughs> that right. level. Um, so it'll be, it'll definitely be new for you. Um, I'm, I'm sure I have faith in your subcontractors. Um, air conditioning in Maine, at least is not as hard. So if your system can produce heat, it more than enough, uh, produces air conditioning, uh, just for this simple fact of, you know, it's much more efficient in the summertime, um, which yeah. is kind of a nice benefit of a heat pump, but I can, I can definitely understand why that's a little nerve wracking. It's, it's new. It's different. How does this work? Will it? Well, and it's, uh, you know, I, you know, when we talk about like, why did the old house get torn down? Um, I had in it a, a pretty primitive device that would call my telephone. Um, if the temperature in the basement of that old house was under 42 degrees. Mm -hmm. um, and it did that more often than I want to admit. And, <laughs> you know, there was one night where the, we were within probably an hour of the whole house freezing up. And mm. uh, the uh, propane tank, the line to the propane tank had been broken by wind. Oh, and no. uh, so the there was no heat in the house and it started to freeze up and it was minus 19 and at 3 a.m. there was somebody from the propane company and our trusted plumber were on site in that weather uh, and they managed to avert disaster. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's not an experience I want to relive. Yeah, I can imagine you, you've got sort of these, these things like, am I going to get a call in the middle of the night, you know, for this Vermont house and, you know, oh, I, I <laughs> I can definitely see how that that's a that's one of those things where you're you're you you probably know it won't happen with the new construction, but you're still sort of stuck on you know what was what was there and and just that exactly that thought. So um what other things did you decide to do as far as efficiency? Um, you know, we haven't really talked about that. Um I know that Bob and uh, Garrow working together are, you know, pushing for, you know, more efficient. This is Vermont. It's cold. We want you to be warm. We want it to, you know, stay. What were some of the decisions um, that you made or was it an easy process for you to say, you know, what do you guys recommend that we do here? Uh, it, it was, it was pretty easy. I mean, we were um, committed to that program from day one. So, you know, we learned a lot about it. The house is, you know, the insulation system is not like anything I've ever seen before. That's an extremely well insulated house mm -hmm. uh, where we freed ourselves of any propane uh, fired thing other than a grill on the deck. Uh, so, you know, we're gonna have an induction stove. We're not to use that. Um, and we're actually gonna have solar, uh, which has yet to, that project hasn't started, but we're, putting in some uh, solar panels, not on the house, but in a, a little bit remote from the house. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Bob and Gero tell me it's, uh, you know, it's not a passive house, but it's an extremely efficient house. And that yeah. was something we wanted to do. And honestly, they knew they could have gotten you a passive house certification if they had, uh, you might've had to change a couple of materials or something where um, passive houses goes along with a lot of certified components, right? So you have to use specific windows or whatever. So the way they build is probably getting you to the performance levels or almost to the performance levels that you, you want to be at, which is, um, which is really impressive. Um, yeah. And then you know, you don't have the piece of paper, but you will, you'll have, you know, 
years of utility data, if you choose to to figure that out, that'll kind of back up your. No, and there's not a there's a sort of um, ethical satisfaction associated with it. Yeah, um, which is where I'm coming at it, and uh, you know I believe the house the house is ex- going to be extremely efficient. Um, there there are a lot of windows. I think part of the way we miss the target for you know perfectly uh, <laughs> perfectly efficient was we wanted more glass than that to permits although we've got windows that are you know very high quality they're just a lot of them yeah so you know in the trade-off there where you don't have as much wall surface is that uh, you went i'm assuming with a triple pane window so that you still feel comfortable as you sit next to it and it's pretty impressive some of these triple pane windows are almost as good if not better than you know, some of the, the old housing stock that we had that had, you know, minimal insulation in it is, you know, that A, they're not going to be leaky. So you won't feel the draftiness sitting right. next to it. And, you know, some of the old two by four walls with R13 fiberglass in it are, are, were barely better if they were at all better than these new windows that you right. have. And so, right. Although you're sacrificing maybe the R30 or 40 or whatever your wall system is in the parts that are walls, you know, you're really not sacrificing a lot to have, you know, the beautiful view in the window and be comfortable then when you sit in that space. So yeah, it's been, it's just been interesting to me to it sort of make sense, but I hadn't thought about it about the various little penetrations into that, how to deal with them. I saw something about this on your website the other day. Uh, just about how um, receptacles are buried in exterior walls and what needs to be done around them so they don't you know, become a, an undesirable conduit through the insulation shield and all that. So it's, it's interesting. I mean, Gara would tell you I'm, um, I'm interested in what he does. I ask questions about like, well, what, what's a Larson truss? I'd never heard of it. Uh, <laughs> and so now I've, I've become, you know, I'm, 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 learned in Larson trusses uh, and uh, uh, trying to figure out what it's all about. I find it very interesting. Um, uh, I was up there when they were putting the steel roof on and watching how they do that was mind boggling to me. Um, a lot of fun. Yeah, it can be really fascinating. Um, and I say that to a lot of my clients when they come, I said, we can give you what you're asking for. If you just want to be comfortable, healthy in your home. I said, or if you want to get into the weeds and you want to know every part of the building science and how this stuff goes together, I'll give you all that information too. Like, just tell me where you're at in the spectrum and we'll you no, know, give I'm, you. The- I'm pretty far over on that end. I think Carol would tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have a couple of clients who, who are, are like that too. And my husband is a, a, a mechanical engineer by trade. And so, you know, we he likes to build complicated spreadsheets. And so I've had a couple of engineering clients who want to know everything and run the numbers and we do energy modeling and we look at all that stuff. And so for me, that's fun. And I find that stuff really interesting. Not everybody does. Um, So I think it's awesome that you said from the beginning, you know, we're kind of interested in like, this is, this is the way we want to go if we're going to do this. And that everyone on your team kind of bought into that idea. You know, it's part of what led you to Bob. Um, it's part of what made you say yes to Garrel. And then as a team, you know, you guys all talk and you converse and they give you the information that you need. Um, I think a builder said to me once, it's 80% personality and 20% skill. I, obviously, Garrel's team has <laughs> to have skill to build you a house that you're comfortable with. But it's 80% the way that they interact with you. And I think especially because you're not on site all the time and couldn't be on site because of the way that, that COVID worked and that you probably did some, if not all of your design meetings with Bob over the internet, you know, and then get information from Garrow where you know that he's going to send you something every day. So you know what's happening, or he's going to send you a message or an email or whatever that says, Hey, I need you to, you know, finalize this decision because we're going to need that in, you know, X, Y, Z weeks and we have to order it or. um, No, he's very, you know, I often ask him like, when do you need to know this? Yeah. Uh, Because I understand, you know, I've told him repeatedly, I'm not going to be the cause of delay. (laughs) <laughs> tell me when you need input from me, I'll get, I'll get it to you on time. I never want anybody saying it would have been done earlier, but you 
didn't. But you know. didn't decide what you you know. You didn't tell us what color paint to use or whatever. Yeah. 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 So, um, and that's part of why I wanted to have you on today to talk about your experience from the homeowner, because oftentimes, or a lot of times I have other professionals on, you know, other architects or other builders. And, and from our perspective, it's, you know, X, Y, Z, but the, the most successful project, uh, they often talk about is the three leg stool, right? It's the, the design professional that you have, the builder that you have, but it's really the homeowner too, right? Because this is the house that you want to live in that you have to live in when you're, you know, you're done with it and that you want to be happy with everybody on the team. And that's, those are the best projects for the architect and the builder too, is when everybody is on the same page and then everybody is happy when you're done. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) So, well, I appreciate you taking your time. I've talked to you now for almost an hour and I don't want to take up any more of your valuable time, but I appreciate you coming on and talking about it from the client perspective. I can't wait to see your house. I'm hoping that I I might get a chance to come over to Vermont sometime this summer. Um, but, but also too, that, you know, I'm just, I'm just so happy to hear your experience with it. And that thus far it's been a positive experience because I know in 2020, 2021, it's been, it can be, or has been more challenging for some people. Um, and so for you to be having a good experience is, is really great. This was, this was actually, um, this was actually a boon for me. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it was something I could think about that was joyous rather than all the rest of what's happening. In the, right. Uh, something in the to look forward to. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, and I suppose the pandemic wasn't just for me, it's for many, many people put into sharp relief, the, um, privilege that we have, if we have a place in Maine or Vermont or mm-hmm. somewhere that when pandemics hit, you can, you can, there go to get out of the city. Is yeah, it- I mean, you know, I was up on site by myself self several times and you don't need a, you don't need a mask up there. There wasn't anybody within a mile. Yeah. There wasn't anybody near you, right? There wasn't anybody there. So <laughs> it's all good. And, uh, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. You, uh, your, your, your podcast is a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, I, um, I was happy to be invited to talk with you today. So thanks. A big thank you to Scott for joining me on the podcast. I don't often interview homeowners, but they are an important part of the project, so I hope you guys enjoyed this discussion with him today. If you have enjoyed the podcast, like, share, comment, or send me a message, emily at matramarch.com. Until then, stay nerdy.